0: and welcome to InsureTech Insider, episode 102. I'm Nigel Walsh. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Cross-African InsurTech. Cross-African Tech is booming right now and deserves to have some of the time in the limelight. We're going to take a look at what the African InsurTech landscape looks like right now, who is helping, what reaching potential customers is like and how it can lock in long-term growth prospects and what the future holds. As always, I'm not alone, but joined by a panel of amazing guests. First up, I'm joined by my fantastic co-host and first-timer, Guerra Kiwana, Senior Ops Analyst at 11FS. How are you, Guerra?
1: Doing okay, yeah. Um, I'm enjoying my afternoon in uh, rural Uganda today, so yeah.
0: I was just about to say where are you joining us from, and we've seen a, a glimpse of the beautiful landscape, so welcome to you for the show. First time on in Tech Insiders. Alongside Guerra, making his Insurtech Insider debut also is Roy Perlow, CFO at LAMI. How are
2: you doing today, Roy? Yeah, thank
0: you. Very good. Uh, pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit more about LAMI, please?
2: Yeah. Um, so at LAMI, we're an um, insur- insurance as a service uh, platform. We digitize the entire value chain of insurance, all the way from KYC, policy documentation issuance and um all the way through to policy management, as well as claims management. Um, and we integrate with businesses to enable them to sell insurance to their customers or to their employees.
0: Fantastic. Dare I say it sounds like embedded insurance. We're not going down there just yet. We'll get there. I'm sure. <laughs> Fantastic. And last, but by no means least, we have Francis Ngari, Head of Digital at Resolution Insurance Kenya. How are you doing today, Francis?
3: I'm very well, Nigel, and I'm glad you are able to pronounce my name properly. <laughs> I did ask in advance, so I am
0: cheating a little bit. Where where are you joining <laughs> us from today?
3: So I'm joining you from Nairobi, the capital city in Kenya. It's a chilly evening.
0: I don't think you're going to get an Irish-British guy talking about the weather. This is, this would be a very long conversation. Can you tell us a little bit more about Resolution Insurance Kenya, if possible, please?
3: Oh, yes. So I lead digital and innovation at Resolution Insurance. And uh, Resolution is a company that's in the last stages of uh, its teenage years. So we are 19 years since inception. We've previous half of our life, we've done health insurance. And the other half, we have done health and general insurance. So three years back, we began the journey to change the way we engage with our customers and our external stakeholders, that's the distribution, the brokers, and the agents. And we began the process of digitizing insurance with a view to become the insurance of choice and also with a view to become the preferred insurer by most customers in the retail as well as the corporates.
0: Fantastic. I I like the idea of it being out of its teenage years, but equally an interesting journey here. Thank you all for joining me. Let's get started with the show. Let's get started with the conversation by talking about what cross-African InsurTech actually is and what the current landscape looks like. Guerra, is this a good one to start with you? How much of the African market is insured right now? you able to share some insights?
1: So I'm while I'm not like a deep expert on insurtech or insurance in Africa, I'm quite familiar with fintech in Africa and and um, you know the digitization of a, a lot of uh, financial services in Africa, and I can confidently say that that uh, the penetration for insurance is I think below five percent. I'll 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 punt to Francis or Roy about this, but I do know that that. Um, it, Africa is, is, is mostly uninsured, or I'd say even underinsured, and that goes for private as well as corporate and businesses as well. I would chalk it up to a you know lack of education around insurance products, really, also lack of 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 services like that are actually built for the markets that they exist in. But yeah, I'd, I'd punt it to to Francis uh, about this. About what's the landscape like in Kenya? What have you seen?
3: So in Kenya, the uh, insurance penetration rate is at 2.3 percent and uh, just for clarity because a lot of people hear 2.3 percent and they say the opportunity is big the penetration rate is a measure of uh, the total gross which premium over the total GDP for the for the for the country so in Kenya it's at 2.3 percent. In Africa, on average, it's below, uh, like Quera said, it's below 5%. average averages at 2.6%. But it's worth noting that in Africa, we have countries like Mauritius, like uh, South Africa, like Zimbabwe, which have an insurance penetration rate of more than 8%. Actually, South Africa, I think, is at 16%. Also in Africa, we have countries whose insurance penetration rate is below 1% at 0.2, 0.5, 0.6. I personally, and I have written a publication about it, I have personally attributed this low uptake to the products. I know there's a lot of uh, discussion around digitizing to increase uptake. I can tell you I've I've been running a digital platform for the last one year. I have not recorded an increase in the number of people buying insurance, so it's actually a combination of product versus um, the entire
2: customer value proposition.
0: Well, let's come back to that in a sec before we jump into that. Roy, anything else to add
2: from your perspective? Yeah, I think it's true, but these numbers are, you know, they're vastly different across countries. I think um, the problem has been that 70%, I think, of GWP in Africa is coming from South Africa so if you look at africa as a whole you you kind of always need to exclude south africa which is a completely different market if you look at kenya where where most of us are based you know even the contribution of what is already there is to a large extent you know corporate insurances motor insurance uh, larger value policies but if you look at the number of people that are served it's a, it's massive massive uh, issue to access insurance or be um, be aware of that insurance is actually there or what the value is of insurance to individuals and I think that's one of the things that we think needs to change um, which is the distribution but also the products so the combination of them is is quite important so yeah I really agree with uh, with Francis there
0: Let me add some context to this. I think Africa is, what, the second largest continent on the planet with about 1.3 billion population. And when you talk about penetration, just to compare it back to other markets, I think the average penetration for insurance across the world is around 7%. uh, And we compare it back to the UK, which is about 11%. So we're still not talking, you know, high 80s or 90s. In fact, the most penetrated market in the world is probably taiwan but still the numbers you've quoted are just low very very low and i read that as massive opportunity so you talk you've all talked about products francis maybe you can share more about what products are people typically buying today or what's available and and how we go about typically accessing those
3: so uh, typically in, um, in kenya and in most other african and even in the world The products that take the lion's share is the motor insurance product. And um, in most countries, this is driven by a legal requirement. So it's not voluntary. The second product that usually has a higher uptake in Kenya by premium contribution is health insurance. And uh, health insurance can be attributed to two things. Number one is the cost of healthcare and the fact that really the difference between uh, sliding into poverty and securing your future is just a health insurance policy we are beginning to see a change in the disease trends and previously we had conditions which were said to be lifestyle conditions that were only attributed to people who are well off to do financially and now we're beginning to see people even who come from lower middle income and lower income segments suffering from these conditions like cancer diabetes like high blood pressure and these are conditions that don't have a cure and this is driving the uptake for health insurance in Kenya particularly uh, the employee value proposition you find that uh, the more corporate customers we have and and the more this corporate Businesses are financially stable. They hire the uptake of insurance because they begin to 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 wow their employees by providing solutions like um, personal accidents, group life, and, and and even health. Another upcoming trend in Kenya is you know short term and quick credit solutions and these are radically increasing the demand for credit life insurance policies because you get a loan off your phone and the loan comes along with a a credit life insurance policy most of the other products are just embedded uh, in other products like funeral expense and personal accident and uh, perhaps uh, that points to the direction in which insurance should be going uh, which should be a uh, partnership and embedding
0: that's a good segue to to roy if i may given some of the things you mentioned on the introduction are you seeing the same roy
2: yeah i think that's that's one of the things that we saw uh, and that's also how Lamy started is that you know there is um there's two things missing, and one is you know the way of distributing insurance. Given that the majority of the population is well, the average population in these countries is uh, 20 to 25. Everybody is moving to the digital age, so but 99% of insurance is sold traditionally. So if you think about that, the majority of the population being young, being all nowadays on either smartphones, feature phones, or you know some form of connectivity. But they're not getting any insurance through that, and you know that's how we think about uh, the future of insurance is that a, you need to digitize, but two, you need to provide the infrastructure for that. So that's what what we've built or what we're building uh, and continues to do, to develop is uh providing API to integrate into existing platforms. uh One thing that I haven't heard here is uh, the lack of trust. I think that's one big problem that financial services generally have, but insurance particularly usually people think they they won't get paid their claims. So why would you get insurance? It's like a waste of a waste of, of of time and money. But now, if you embed insurance into products and using the infrastructure and technology that that for example that we we can provide, that you know the processes are automated. That you know in a transparent way that if this happens, then I get my insurance claim paid within one day or seven days. Then people start thinking about it differently, and especially if it comes true trusted partnerships or platforms, like what, we, what we're trying to do so we fundamentally believe in providing the technology and the infrastructure to a logistics platform or online platforms, marketplaces, e-commerce, uh, the M-Pesa app, or wherever, you know, people are and already dealing with day-to-day basis, and you provide the insurance right there in that context or embedded into products, people will trust actually that, you know, this is a valid product rather than going from the insurance companies directly.
0: So so you've mentioned something that's super interesting to me, and that's the whole concept of trust more broadly. I think we suffer this globally with uh, financial products, specifically insurance to your point about being paid the claim. Do you think there's a brand issue therefore in the insurance market for uh, in, in the region for people not to trust the local brands? Uh, and or is it just a case if they trust the distribution brand or the logistics platform
2: brand more because that's where they are every day? Exactly. So that, that's that's our uh, fundamental belief of like our the partnership that we recently launched is like, for example, Sandy. Sandy is a logistics platform. They have, you know, hundreds of truck drivers that use day to day to do trips and, you know, carry goods around. So now we've launched a partnership where the insurance in itself, was always questioned and whether, you know, if there's something happening on the trip to their goods, they would doubt if they ever got the claim paid, so they didn't actually take insurance. But now, the trip that they take on the platform that they use every day to for their bread and butter, they now get insurance directly there at the fair price per trip, so they don't need to worry about, like, any contracts or anything. The information is already there, so they don't need to really provide anything. They just automatically get insurance uh, per trip that they do. So that's obviously very transparent. And then if there's an issue, they can claim directly through Sandy, which is using our technology, and we will, you know, automatically uh, transmit those claims to the insurance company. So the interface for the truck driver or, you know, if you use other partnerships, is something that they already know, that they're already familiar with, that they're trusting. So we do believe... So they
0: trust it today?
2: Yeah. Gwera, do you want to jump in?
1: Yeah, I want to jump in and around this piece about trust because... Trust is it's so delicate and it's it's really tough to to build up and really easy to to you know shatter. Um so it sounds like building partnerships with uh with other brands or um services, uh really meeting the customer where they're at sounds like is is what Lamy is, is has been doing um with with your product. But I'm curious like how this is both to you, Roy and Francis, how how do you then first you, you get to the, you get to the customer, you meet them. Uh, but then how do you actually get them to, to trust and actually use your service? Like, I know that for me personally, like I'll just use anecdotally myself, I'm somewhat financially literate. I'm somewhat like trusting of, of, of digital services. But I, it took me years to actually get like renter's insurance because I just didn't understand. Like, like so many insurance platforms made it really complex and complicated with big words and, um, you know, long documents. Is there a way to compliantly be transparent and, and, gain, and you know, simple with your offerings uh, for customers?
3: Really, there is uh, alongside digital transformation, there is some new terminologies which are coming up, the user experience design, mapping the journey of the customer, and actually what these two things allude to is the fact that if you are making a solution for me, uh, please come to me and get my input out of it, get to understand what I fear, get to understand how I like to call it. You know, like you will find, uh, most insurance companies insist on, on calling insurance. They they insist on calling it insurance policy. And uh, when you put it up on your website or on your portal and you call it policy, that's not what the customer thinks of it as. Out there, the customer just wants to know I'm covered. So perhaps call it cover. So the element of terminologies and the element of getting the the, the input of the consumer is, is very key to the success of the trust. It also goes a long way in getting the customer to know that I am part of this solution. So it's not been done and I was involved and that increases the element of uptick. But I, um, I want to talk about a syndrome which uh, I like to call the, a digital lipstick syndrome. So a, a, a lot of Uh, sometimes you find a solution that works really well it's very seamless when you work with it and if I go into a platform and my intention is to buy insurance I'll perhaps buy insurance in one minute but the actual fulfillment of that insurance policy involves some back-end activities and some back-end work and that is in automated so I achieved my goal in one minute, but I, I achieved the fulfillment of my goal in perhaps more than, more than 24 hours and that lowers the trust. So um, <clears throat> it's, it's important that we, we just don't work on the face. Let's not just work on applying lipstick, Let's work on ensuring that even without the lipstick you know you can still deliver and the solution works equally as well and seamlessly in the back end. That would be my take.
0: And is there is there a challenge there with regards to the traditional back-end doesn't work or is inefficient or is too slow, and if you and, and again this is a Western problem as well as it's uh, an African challenge to your point, does that mean it's equally the process exists today it's just cumbersome and, and slow, and as I said this is this is
2: everywhere we see this everywhere we go. Yeah no I I was just thinking on what Francis said like I think the backend so that's part of what needs to be changing i think so the problem the back end is complicated you have 25 underwriters or 50 underwriters in Kenya but let's say we work with about 25 they all have different processes and everything so what we're trying to do is streamline it so that the front end does not need to deal with the back end so that if you know we get a trucker that needs to get his trip insured or an individual on 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 Jumia they don't need to see any of that all they need to know is this is the price this is the benefit this is what I'm covered for and we automate the issuance of the documentation based on the information that is there. And then, you know, their experience is very easy. We in the backend, you know, we automate declarations to underwriters and all of that. But you wanna take that away from the from the individual because that is normally what, what gives them skepticism. It's like, okay, there's like a whole a two week process to fill out documents and forms and this and that. Well, now they just go in the app from Jumia. They know how it works. They see there's the product, there's the price. And instantly they get an email with a summary and the policy documentation. Now, how we deal with that in the, in the back end—that's that's you know—that's not really their concern, as long as they know what they're covered for. Uh, in our view,
0: I mean, that's I, I find it fascinating with such a low penetration and massive opportunity ahead of us, that we haven't learned from the mistakes of the more developed countries that are doing this now and have been doing it for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm and we're struggling with to get anything done. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated that we haven't been able to jump past all of this and get to a point that says, we've seen those mistakes, let's jump straight through the things that don't work and do this digitally, both back-end and front-end. And if we look at the insure tech growth over the last couple of years, it's purely been focused on, well, originally focused on distribution and digitization to the earlier points. And as we've got more mature, it's gone backwards and backwards and backwards into claims, underwriting and so much more. So I don't know, maybe I had a bigger hope to say, actually, if we're starting off from scratch and we've got a brand new clean sheet of paper that we could miss out all of the noise and jump to an efficient approach. W- one last question before I before I wrap up and Guerra, maybe one to you, given the cross FinTech and SureTech piece here is, a, a large part of the population, I guess, is also unbanked. H- how much of a correlation do you see that with the fact that they haven't got insurance either? Is that is, is, there, is that coincidence or is there something else to that?
1: I think if we look at unbanking or underbanking of, of populations, um, we're always oftentimes talking about the global south. Um, and the correlation definitely comes from the... I'm I'm going to juxtapose it to neo-colonialism, really, and and colonialism in general. So it's you know the global north uh, companies entities from the global north coming in and deciding to copy and paste what works there in the global south. So like for example, you know today we're talking about Africa. So things like ATMs, bank bank branches, bank products that have existed in in the global north have been basically brought over, copied and pasted here but haven't worked on the scale that we've seen from what I'd like to see as decolonized like solutions. So by what I say by decolonized, I mean like completely rejecting uh, the structures and, and the the ways of working and the processes that, that 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 the that have been copied and pasted from the West and actually meeting customers and meeting people where they are and where their need is. So, if we talk about un- underbanking and unbanking, w- you know the opposite of that, the decolonized version of that, is mPesa. If we talk about insurance and under- p- those who are underinsured, the opposite of that, you know, the uh, decolonized side of that is microinsurance and nanoinsurance.
0: Guerra, thank you so much for that. Let's move on uh, with some other pieces here. Um, Roy, you talked about mPesa. One of the things I'm fascinated by is actually how we get to the customers in the first place. In the West, obviously we're very internet and smartphone orientated. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably 10 years ago, if not longer, Eric Schmidt said, if you haven't got a mobile strategy, you haven't got a strategy. How does it differ in the African region?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, which also you mentioned Empesa, which obviously is a, is a very different situation in, in, in some of the other markets that uh, that we're looking at. But reaching customers is, and also, selling the products and distributing them is fundamentally different. But there's obviously a rapidly increasing number of, let's say, mobile users, uh, whether it's some form of feature phone or a smartphone, this is left aside. But you do need to have different ways of distributing. But everybody has a phone nowadays. So even if there's no application possible, you have technologies like USSD or payments through Mpesa or, you know, there's airtime. So the products, they vary. Differently in how people can pay for the insurances, so you need to factor all of these things in when you when you when you come up with use cases. For example, we came up with a with a product as an example, which would be unlikely here, but it's um, a product that is on a third trip bus trip insurance. It's a one shilling product, one cent, and you know you can't have too many. Uh, like it's 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 almost nano uh, policy size. So you need to basically either embed it into the FAIR, um, but obviously fair is also a question, like how do people pay for this? So we made an embedded product and so that people actually don't need to take any actions to pay with MPESA or to do anything else because the transactional fees will be higher than the actual value of the policy. So you need to factor in that, that the population is reached in a different way. So in this case, they buy a ticket, but if you don't embed this product, it will not be a valuable product. Yeah, I mean, I
0: was just going to say to you, the the other thing you mentioned was, I often use the word micro-insurance or micro-products. You talked about Nano.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Talk to me more about that. Is that because it's just the sheer size of it is a shilling and it's so small? or?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, micro-insurance is, is small in by by definition, but Nano... I mean, a one-cent policy, I don't think I've, I've seen any other policy, so that's why I thought, if I call it micro-insurance, then it might be uh, misleading because one-cent is, is, is definitely more than a micro. But it, it does, the use case is interesting because without the technology, without automation, without embedding it, this do, this doesn't make sense. Like, it's it's just not feasible because anything that costs more than a cent to distribute, even an SMS, you know, would be more expensive. So. That's why you can only reach, and these are individuals that have never had insurance. They would not think about insurance. I mean, nobody wakes up thinking about insurance, but people do go on on public buses in in Kenya. There's 200,000 Mutatus driving around every day with millions of of trips a day, and there's accidents happening, and people, you know, they don't have health insurance. So we came up with a product that is new for underwriters, so you do need to get cooperation from underwriters, but distributed in a way that is affordable, and in this case, it's actually built into the ticket price without increasing the ticket price. So it's almost taken away from the margin from the from the, from the the actual uh, bus companies. But it's also, it has to be embedded. Otherwise, it's just too costly to actually um, build another process.
0: So I, I, I like the idea of frictionless, but the other thing that you said that's really interesting is, the price of the ticket hasn't gone up. It's embedded in and almost consumed by the manufacturer or distributor of the products in the first place so that's really interesting so so is that a change in business model to what we see in the western
2: world well i think yes we see this across different products actually the reason is that because insurance is not available to people it almost becomes a value-added service for the businesses so that's why we we like to see these integrations and partnerships because the bus companies that can offer basically quasi free insurance on trips will be more appealing than the non the, the bus companies that don't have this. Or we, for example, working on a partnership with a with an HR platform, they onboard companies. Obviously HR is the main thing that you know, payroll and everything. But by offering insurance for each of their employees and, you know, easily to see and monitor this and give extra value add to custom to their employees, it's um it's it becomes a I think that's a change in mentality. Is that it becomes a perk or it becomes a value add from any of these platforms? It's the same for the the, tri- the the Ubers of the world or the the logistics platform. They like to add this service to their truck drivers or to the to their consumers by saying, "Well, now you can actually you get insured." So we're working on a few partnerships like that, and it's it's a recurring theme across things like embedding insurance into, into glasses, optical glasses.
0: You're you're opening my eyes to no pun intended with the opticals here, but you're opening my eyes to a whole new world of business models, which I find fascinating and actually being where the customer is or engaging with them, how they choose to be engaged. I guess one of the other things with this is, is with all the various different regions is language and language obviously is extremely cultural. Do you, do you think Western companies, Francis, have failed to get into the region because of language, or are they adapting and changing accordingly to support uh, the the multiple different regions?
3: I think in my analysis, really, is not it's, it's not a language barrier, really. It's the study of the habits and the and the culture and and, and our ways of life. And um, I want to couple these now with the products because. When I look at insurance I, I hear people making jokes and saying uh, the, the form they filled in when they were when they started their career about 20 30 years ago it's the same form they're filling in um, no field has been added no field has been removed but that's on the side the, the actual thing is if you look at the lives of the people who live in Africa we we have micro is a terminology that's becoming very common. When you're talking about Africa, you can't help and talk about micro. And and now you see we've gone a step further. We've gone nano. So what I would like to say is the economy of Kenya is, we call it the kadogo economy. Kadogo is Swahili for small, meaning somebody buys, the bulk of the population is the people who consume fast-moving consumer goods in very small portions. Well, the middle-income earners will buy shopping to last them a whole month. The lower income earner is going to buy shopping for the meal. So I'm going to buy a teaspoon of salt. I'm going to buy a teaspoon of sugar. I'm going to use that today. That's what I can afford now. And this actually uh, rhymes very well with what Roy just spoke about. And I'm so fascinated that there's a product of one shilling, so the Western person will come, they, they will speak in English, but if they come and sell five kilos of sugar as opposed to selling sugar in a teaspoon, then uh, the uptake is not going to be according to expectation. So for me, that's the challenge. and and, and this couples on with the other challenge where, most of the insurance companies also use softwares that come from the Western countries. And uh, I think they have passed on towards the challenges they have on that end when it comes to systems. And uh, while well, we have been able to develop our own platforms for the customer facing side, we are still using the legacy systems that struggle with integration, or it takes too long, or it's too expensive you know
0: we could be talking francis about an insurer in the uk and your comment about the economy living meal to meal day to day month to month i think is true in every nation maybe more so in in, in the region to to your point i'm just fascinated about your you know language isn't a barrier, but actually understanding the local cultures and how we live is i mean that's the fundamental tenet of Actually, how we build products in the first instance. I guess last question, uh, Guerra, for you is: uh, given the last couple of years, which has been difficult world over for everyone, how has that impacted the the local region from your perspective and, and from what you've seen?
1: Absolutely. So I think that you know, I, like what Francis said, meeting the customer where they're at, understanding the Kadogo economy, the fact you know that that uh, also known as the pay as you go economy. People spending what they earn immediately—it's a culture that exists in in parts of Africa that that these foreign companies maybe may not have fully understood. And over the last years, we've seen these business models time after time break. And this is in in fintech, so in banking, um, in insurance as well, bringing legacy legacy systems, legacy mindset, Western mindsets as well, uh, and trying to copy and paste them in. The African market and again also the African market is incredibly like it's just super duper broad and really really uh diverse as well uh so it having that really based on understanding I haven't really seen it be executed in in insurtech or insurance like yet uh across the continent in a way that is um across multiple different markets um, I wonder if uh if you guys have more to say about this but yeah Roy Francis
3: what do you think for me, is uh, there, there are myriad of challenges when it comes to the African economy. And most, on top of the list, is the disposable income. And, and that alludes to the micro economy or the nano economy. Uh, I think we conducted a survey as a brand and uh, we were out to understand how many uh, transactions result to the end of your salary. And what do you prioritize when it comes to your salary? and you find people will spend on food, people spend their money on rent, they'll spend on school fees, and by the time they're done with school fees, uh, there's nothing remaining. So the the only way to get insurance then is to make sure that you're present in one of those instances, which they have to spend their money on. And I think that's the next frontier we are going to see when it comes to innovation, because we have seen enough of customer-facing solutions. The next thing is, who comes in strategically and who actually solves the problem for the consumer?
0: I think I think that's spot on. I mean, the, the thing that I keep going back to, M-Pesa goes back to 2007. The Kodogo economy you talked about, or the small economy, I think is a fascinating way of looking at the world. I think if you look at folks like Renault that used frugal innovation, took money out of the equation, it makes you think about the problem in very different ways. And I think we have a huge amount to learn from these new business models that can be applied from Africa to the rest of the Western world quite happily, as specifically as we look to the new generations of folks that are consuming insurance in very different ways. So I actually think there's a lot that we can use and learn and understand uh, coming out of Africa into um, the Western world, Europe and the US and elsewhere that we should be picking up on.
2: I, to, to your point, Nigel. Actually, I wanted to add to uh, Francis saying that's actually one of the reasons I think why global insurance companies don't understand the local market enough. That's true. But if you take an example like we launched a motor uh, for consumer app, where you can, you know, uh, basically take short-term covers. This is the point because people don't know if they're gonna be working next week or whether they need the car. So a stop-and-go or one-week policies. I don't know if you have a car in uh, in, uh, in 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 the Western world, but it, it's actually coming now as insurance disruption that you can get such cover. Whilst in uh, Kenya, we launched this as the fir- like as part of the first digital kind of insurance apps that you can do that as the starting point. Whilst here, you know, it's almost like some of these ideas, you're like they didn't exist in the developed markets before. So therefore, the developed markets, let's say the leaders, if they come to Kenya. They wouldn't come up with these products because they haven't even come up with these products back in the Netherlands, where I'm from. You know, you couldn't stop your cover. You take a one-year policy, and they deduct the entire premium. And if you're lucky, and you stop halfway, you get you get like a half of the year back. But with us, you can just stop it. And if you don't have a job next week, you just don't pay insurance as easy as that.
0: This is the challenge insurers globally are going to have as the transition from annual policies, as you say, through to pay as you go or, or frictionless insurance in the land of utilities, a word I've used quite a bit. Uh, this is this truly is fascinating and, and genuinely opening my eyes to a, a whole new world, a whole new opportunity. Let's just take a quick break and we'll be back very shortly. Introducing the Truly Digital Manifesto. If you're not truly digital already, well, you're
3: missing out on a massive opportunity. Faster processes, more customer value, and higher revenues. It's not the future. It's already happening. So how do you measure up? Head over to trulydigital.elevenfes.com to see what it really means to be truly digital.
2: Looking to sharpen your competitive edge when it comes to design? Join hundreds of subscribers using 11FS Pulse to solve their users' problems and get to market faster. Discover over 4,000 user journeys from global brands like Revolut, Curve and Soldo and learn how to design winning customer propositions with our expert analysis. Get started today by visiting bit.ly forward slash get a Pulse demo.
0: Welcome back and let's get on with the show. So next, we're going to look at what innovative companies are doing in the African market. So would you say parts of Africa are on its way to becoming pretty digitally mature? Let me start with you, Francis. What do you think? Are we are we reaching a maturity level now? or?
3: First of all, we recently saw a report on the state of digitalization in Kenya. And I had a glimpse of the report on the African status. So, if you live in Kenya and you talk about internet penetration and you talk about digital, uh, the story you're going to have is nowhere near the story you're going to have about Africa. So, if I address that question in reference to Africa, I think, well, we are probably not 10 years away, but uh, we are a couple of years away into digital maturity because digitalization is largely driven by accessibility to internet, accessibility to mobile devices, and uh, those are numbers that are still not very encouraging when you come to Africa. When you talk uh, about Kenya, the situation is different. Majority of the Kenyan population, over 70%, have access to internet. If we go by the statistics, there is more mobile phones in Kenya than the population, uh, irrespective of the fact that one person could be owning more than one phone. But it goes on to say that uh, the number of uh, devices available to Kenyans is, is near. Uh, thirdly, the government right now is providing digital services through the e-Citizen platform. And um, if all the way from applying for a national ID to applying for a passport to all, almost all government services. So if you're in any part of Kenya, you have to look for internet services and that has driven internet access and and availability of uh, services to people from even very remote areas businesses like cyber cafes have come up so as far as kenya is concerned uh digital maturity i think is something we are going to experience within within the next two years and it's digital maturity for insurance some sectors have I mean, they have outdone themselves. When you come to um, parcel delivery services, when you come to banking, those ones have outdone themselves. It's insurance that's lagging behind. And I think with a two year, three year plan, we will reach digital maturity.
0: It's It's a really interesting point and you compare it to banking again. I often go back to the way my, you know, I'm a, dare I say, I'm a 46 year old man. I know I look 21, but I'm a 46 year old man. And my dad always used to say to me, but but, Nigel, you grew up with this, it's easier for you to understand. And I often think maturity is not just about capability, but I think we mentioned very early on in the show about education and what our understanding of these things. are. if I've grown up with the word, accessing these things from a cyber cafe with a new product in a micro-insurance world, it's a very different conversation to have at the outset. And I think it's uh, maturity can not just be about the capability, but also about our level of understanding how we grew up with these things too. So fascinating. So you mentioned about fintechs and banking, actually, Francis. In recent years, we've seen quite a few successful fintechs coming into the African market. query, what would you say the likes of Flutterwave and, and others are doing right in this space?
1: I think they're approaching... Yeah, I think we talked about it really earlier about like meeting the customer where they're at. Flowwave is more of a bass, I would say, like banking as a service. So building the piping uh, to enable third-party providers to meet the customer where they're at. So allowing people to actually build on top of that piping and pay- payments, uh, piping and transactions to allow for payouts, for example, payouts to mobile money agents, payouts to bank accounts, payouts to, directly to mobile phones. So I think that the, the a lot of the emerging, like market tech and FinTech and insurance, and like, I'm pretty bullish personally on those who are building the piping, but which kind of leads me to the, my next question. Like I have, I have a question for um, Roy and Francis about, you know, once the pipes have been built, will they come? When it's built, will people come? Will people actually build on top of them? Uh, so for example, like, you know, it makes me wonder, like, is digital the answer? Uh, is, is going digital the solution to underbanking or or under insurance? But, you know, M-Pesa, for example, let's use M-Pesa as an example again. M-Pesa is, you know, notorious, very famous for disrupting banking in, in Kenya. But the the backbone of M-Pesa is, and mobile money in general, is the agent network. So the agent network, those are people, human beings on the ground within communities who are serving the end user. Uh, so it's not completely digital. And I and I wonder, so m you would say is maybe the pipes, but what, what's the equivalent of that in insurance?
2: Yeah, if I can say, on two points, I think that are quite interesting that you mentioned, which are there's obviously there's a few fundamental differences why insurance and makes different difficult. So I think the piping needs to be put in place. That's what we uh, we focus on. But Payments is so successful because there's a necessity, so everybody has to pay, so there's like an immediate need, and if you come up with easier ways to do that, like the flutter waves and and a lot of the other payment fintech uh, related companies do, I think that's an easier one, and therefore they've been doing great whilst in insurance, there is a need, but a lot of people don't have the there's it, not actually a need i mean they don't think about it they, it's not yet in their mind, so insurance is a bit more complicated. So even if you put the piping in place, that doesn't automatically mean that insurance is going to be sold. So then you get to having the right insurance products built on top of the piping and integrating and embedding. That's why these these things are complicated.
0: But, but is that is that back to education as well, though? So if we don't understand it and don't know about it, then we will never go buy it. But if we then understand it, we then have to get the pipes in place to actually acquire it as well. So is that a chicken, chicken and egg scenario? Do we have to have both in place at the same
2: time? How does that work? Well, I think that's why um, what we are focused on is not all products. So there's, there's a there's a lot of opportunities and po- potential, but in a lot of products, it's still too early stage, we think. So we're starting with things like logistics sector. We're starting with motor because there's a, man- a requirement to have motor insurances. We're starting with health because a lot more people want health insurance. And we target you know HR platforms and stuff like that. So we put the piping in place but focus on ver- certain segments where we know there is a traditional insurance existing, So you slowly digitize the the existing uh, channels. And we're also working and believing in, you know, the the fundamental markets of insurance are still driven by agents and brokers. So what we're building is um, an agent functionality so that any agent can use our platform to manage their own book. So they also, again, we first thought, you know, everything should be digital, but actually you need to target the traditional and digitize them. That is the way to, we believe at least, that's just needed in the short term. And then you build out. So once you have that access to an individual customer through a platform, you can then add new insurance products that they don't have yet. So you can do a home insurance through the truck platform. And then they might just say, okay, I want to add this on to to, and and you just take it for my salary or whatever. And the same for HR platforms, you know, you offer them the core, which is reba or income production. But then you're like, you know, you can also take family insurance or you have a, whatever you need, um, funeral policies. So that's one way we think about it.
0: I, I think it's fascinating, and I'm still intrigued the fact that we're still, we seem to be replicating the path of the West when we do digitization of traditional broker and agent journeys. And I, I often just challenge myself on that, given I think m was revolutionary to the world 14 years ago, yet we're still trying to tweak and tune or digitise rather than reimagine. And m for me, through necessity, innovated in a very, very different way. I guess that, that brings us on to the last section, which is all around ensuring long-term growth prospects and looking towards the future. So, so in your mind, uh, and let's start with you, Francis, how do we capture long-term growth here? What do we have to do?
3: Uh, this is how I look at it. I think the growth of insurance is going to come from non-insurance people because we who are already in insurance will digitize. Those who are not in insurance are going to reimagine and they're going to create it. So the way I look at it, I like to use the example of Alibaba, Alipay. It started over as an e-commerce and um, along the way they saw payments was a big issue and so they put in payments and along the way they realized uh, delivery of services is un- another major source of revenue and they came up with deliveries and uh, along the delivery process they realized insurance is one of the major necessities so they had already a captive market and so today as we talk alipay is the biggest insurance brokerage in the world um, and for them it's they were not they were never in, in insurance uh, but they provided you the services that you need on a day-to-day basis and put insurance next to that. And that's how insurance has been consumed. So I think the growth is going to come from an insurance. I think the growth is going to come from an ecosystem of services rather than from an insurance company.
0: Francis, we, we should stop here because you've just summed up my entire story i've been saying for months and months and years and years and that no one loves insurance we've got to go through their adjacency buy things that we want day in day out and then put insurance underneath or next to it so it's nice to hear that there's a consistent message here roy what about you how do how do we go capture long-term growth what's your perspective
2: no i do i do agree a lot that uh, francis just, uh, just highlighted but um i think more practically what is really important and also thinking around the topic today pan-african insurance is that uh, we really need insurance companies also to step up so i think insurance companies have been very let's say old school and have been doing things for, for for many years so for players like us we're trying to integrate insurance companies and we're trying to create products that the people want so like this one shilling product or other things but we we really need underwriters across markets and also international underwriters to come in to support or re-insure new products, uh, breaking down different products, really understanding the risks to price things better. And I think that is one of the things that long-term growth really needs in these markets is that, that uh, it needs to come from both ways. So you can put the piping in place and distribution in place, but the underwriters also need to, you know, stop doing a very standard kind of pricing for the mass markets uh and needs to be more tailored and data driven
0: or personalized to the individual and the context and the situation
2: exactly exactly yeah
0: yeah yeah. well um guira one for you in terms of how how does cross african insured tech look like going forward is there there a is an opportunity to collaborate and span multiple areas or no
1: absolutely i think that you know you guys all just summed up all the smart things i wanted to say but definitely having cross African insurance win of whoever wins or whichever players do well in that space are the ones who, you know, first of all, will meet the customer where the customer is at. And that, that means culturally understanding what their needs are and, and embedding insurance products at the point of need. And then also like just drastically reduce, like uh, changing the way that, that we, we handle risk management. So, and risk assessment. So I, I talk a lot about risk in, in my work and, right now it, it, we have a bit of a blanket way of, of assessing risk of customers and of, of individuals and it's not it's not it's not uh, clean it's not it's not pretty to, to look at data across the continent because it's it's all fragmented you know like different countries different cultures different languages but whoever is able to like partner with with credit bureaus or even like uh, proprietary like uh, credit decisioning software or uh, providers I think that's that's where the, the key to unlocking this would be, like for cross-continent um, insurtech. What
0: has amazed me most, I should say, is the similarities to the markets that I deal with day in, day out. And the challenges are, if they feel identical, they have different constraints, of course, but they feel... And from what this group has described, they feel almost identical to the issues that we 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 lean into day in day out. Let let me close with the last question to each of you, and, and Roy, maybe you first. What what area would you consider in most need of innovation in the in the local region?
2: I think what would help. Uh, I don't know if this is about Pan African or a question, but um, innovation around regulation and cooperation in that sense. So. The fragmentation is partially caused because there's very different rules and regulations in place. And there's some initiatives, and I think, I don't know if that's called innovation, in, it's not technology driven, but more like that is quite important. So there's an initiative, for example, called Lab, which is uh, about seven different regulators in different markets, so West, East Africa, that we're engaged in uh, conversations now. And I think, to, because this goes back to the education part, it, you don't need to force it necessarily on people, but you need to do something to change the, the structure and the ref- and reform the, the insurance space, I think, with the health regulation. So making it mandatory for certain medical insurances, even tiny, you know. So I think that is an in, in area that I would say is quite quite important, besides obviously the, all the technological innovations.
0: No, but I think you've hit you a... You put a... A really important point. We haven't really touched on regulation because I think regulation is a brilliant opportunity to innovate from. And it needs forward-thinking, progressive regulators to allow and open up the world to try and, and do things differently. Francis, what about you? If you had the one area to focus on for innovation, where, where would you look at? Well,
3: for me, it's... Uh, I would look at the distribution, really. Uh I think uh, someone says that uh, the secret to success in fast moving consumer goods is distribution. If you can make sure your bottle of soda is accessible to every kiosk in the country, every corner, then the, the product is, is actually going to fly. So for me, the one thing that uh, cracks my mind every day is everything to do with uh, making insurance accessible to everybody. And and, uh, and, uh, and 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 um, and everything that it takes. So, and that's why I say technology is only one aspect of it. The product packaging is another aspect of it. And um, I actually, I am pro-democratizing insurance. I would like you, Nigel, where you're seated, somebody talks to you and you are not an insurance agent and tells you, uh, oh, by the way, I wish I, I could get insurance for my car. And you tell them, oh, I can get insurance right now. And you go somewhere online, you find a myriad of products and you buy the insurance for them. You earn a share of the revenue from the broker or the agent. So I think let's focus on building the technology, the products are going to follow.
0: I, I love it. You almost said lovable. So Roy's on regulation. You're on distribution. Quero, what about you?
1: I'm on the coolest topic of all time. And I think that the one place that's ripe for disruption is risk assessment. Everyone loves to talk about risk assessment. So like really just having and this this loops into all the things you you know Roy said as well about um, regulation, but like having at least some kind of starting block or at least like standardization of how risk is assessed across the continent. So it's it's a, it's a massive feat, really. But this would unlock so much more than just insurance. This, this could unlock uh, a, lot, a lot of elements of financial inclusion as well. But, you know, Francis, I do agree with you. I think we need, we need to democratize insurance, maybe decentralized finance or crypto might have something to do there. But uh, yeah, that's 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 where, that's where my take on that risk assessment. Fantastic.
0: And as you talk about risk assessment, we didn't get a chance to speak about one of my favorite uh, Kenyan startups, which is Puller, which does parametric insurance. We've spoken about it on the show a long time ago. With that, let's wrap up the show. I am pleased to say we have managed to get through a whole episode of InsurTech Insider without mentioning the dreaded e-scooter. So, a hats off to Irina and george and george for getting us through that um thank you all so much for joining us where can people find out more about you and your companies where where can we find out more about you
1: uh yeah you can find me at 11fs.com and uh, i'm also on twitter uh, not guerra
0: roy very simple lami l-a-m-i dot world fantastic and finally francis where can we find out more about you
3: you can find us on resolution.co.ke your new year resolutions is the SQL spelling of our website, resolution.co.ke. We're available on all social media platforms.
0: Fantastic. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps to make us better and it helps others find the show too. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for us at 11 colon FS or InsureTech Insider. Find us on Twitter at Insect Insiders or email podcasts at 11 Thanks very much and goodbye.